0: Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. In this inspirational people interview on the Share Life Podcast, I'm speaking with author, speaker, and president at Bellhaven University, Roger Parrott. Roger from Mississippi, say hello. Hey, it's nice to be with you on this, and I appreciate the invitation. What a treat to share with you and your, and your audience. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, so roger uh, is a delivering he's delivering actionable insights for both parents and businesses he was named among the 10 most visionary education leaders of 2021 by the education magazine and as one of the longest serving college presidents in america dr para is a fountain of knowledge for christian leaders his book published earlier this year in february is titled opportunity leadership stop planning and start getting results so roger Welcome and thank you for joining me in this discussion. Let's start by getting to know you. Tell us about you and a little of your story. Yeah, well, it's it's a, um,
1: I don't know if it's a boring story or not. Maybe (laughs) it's not. Um, Probably uh, what's notable to a lot of people is that I'm a third generation college president. My wow. father and my grandfather were both presidents. In fact, that desk uh, here beside me is was my grandfather's desk back in the 1930s. And okay. um, and so it's kind of fun to have that heritage. But obviously, um, I'm hopeful my life is much more than just defined as a university president. But um, husband, married, um, boy, 47 years. We just had our anniversary. And two great kids, um, uh, uh 29 and 27. And um, so it's, um, you know, a joy to uh, have family and be around a campus to uh, have all the great things that a Christian college offers. Uh, for my whole life, I'm I'm pretty, uh, pretty fortunate. I've, I've always said that the, my, my grandfather used to say that college president was the best job in the country, as long as you can pay the bills. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and that that is true, especially right now. But, um, you know, for me, it is great, because, um, you know, you get to be around bright, energetic young people every day, you get to work with expert faculty, um, you, um, um, you know, you get to uh, run a small city, and you own your own football team. So it, yeah. it's it's pretty great. My (laughs) wife, my wife teaches English here at Belhaven and she's a fabulous uh, 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 faculty member. And my son works in the library and my daughter graduated two degrees from here. So we're, we're pretty deeply tied in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll throw this question out there um, for you. Uh, You're the president. So you have a, you have a football program. How do you, uh, how does a college best integrate those two? Because I and the reason I say that is I think often the uh, the sports programs um, end up be, end up becoming completely disconnected from the school itself in in many ways. I'm curious what your take is. They really
1: do. They really do. And, and I think it, it depends on the level. First of all, we're obviously not division one. And if you're in the SEC, that's a whole different world. That's really professional football. And uh, the whole change of the last year with the NCAA with like image and, and, uh, and all uh, be monetized is really, I think going to destroy College sports at that level, uh, which is a shame. Uh, we're what's called Division Three, and that means we don't give athletic scholarships. A Student gets the exact same amount of scholarship whether they play or they don't play. And yeah. uh, so, to us, it's all about hiring great coaches who are strong Christian leaders who see sports as a mechanism and a vehicle for mentoring and for developing young people and giving them a great collegiate sports opportunity to play at a at a high level and the competition is tough um uh i had uh, we had a few years ago I, I had a offensive lineman who came to us transfer from old miss this guy was huge he was six seven and and i asked him one day i said how how is it different i said i worry about you a little bit you used to playing in front of you know tens of thousands and now you got a couple thousand people at a game and how's it different he said You know, he said, it's really a tough brand of football. He said, I just have to bend down farther because everybody's not as tall as I am, as they (laughs) are in Division One. But, uh, you know, in that you can build a, I think a coach has more opportunity for mentoring in a young person's life than anybody else does. And you can use that for good or for bad. And if a coach is Christ-centered and a coach wants to build in that, that student a, a pattern of life that will help them for success, they can use it for great good. Because a coach has the one thing that I don't have, faculty don't have, mom and dad don't have. They own the playing time. So they can determine who gets in and out of the game. So students are very responsive to a coach. And I think I see Athletics is a great opportunity for building uh, the lives of, of, um, of, uh, student athletes. And so I love it, but it all depends on getting the right kind of coach and you got to be in the right, uh, kind of setting where scholarships are not the determined factor yeah. that, that well, things off the rails.
0: Yeah. 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 I understand. So I, I definitely want to talk about mentorship. So I'll, I'll get a little ahead of myself and then we'll swing back around. But, um, I, I think it's interesting that you talk about sports as a vehicle for character development. Um, as opposed to a vehicle towards winning or financial gain or prestige or something like that. And so um, h- how does one go about making that type of choice and, and fostering that, especially in a culture that is, does they, they would almost, in many cases, look down upon that type of approach of this is a vehicle for character development.
1: Yeah, I I think our constituency sure understands it. And that's why I think our coaches are into it. They're not making the big money that these uh, uh, coaches do at division one level. Um, But but I think it's a both. And I mean, when you're dealing with athletes, they're competitive people by nature. So don't squash that competitive spirit that God put in them. Help them to build on that, but build on it for good. And and to win for the right reasons and to win in the right ways and we mm-hmm. love to win. There's no there's no question. Yeah. And um, okay. you know we 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 win a lot. Uh, our softball team just uh, wound up number eight in the country, and you know we beat a lot of big name schools. And yeah. uh, we like that as a Christian institution. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you can win, but if you if you don't build the right program around it, and you're doing again what Division One's doing with the transfer portal portal protocol and all, all all they're doing is bringing in different, it's a professional sports arena. And and again, that's fine. If that's what people want, that's not what we're doing. Yeah. We're giving people a chance to play at an intercollegiate level uh, where they really are playing for the
0: love of the sport, because most of them are not going on a professional level. Yeah. So you made the comment. um, So I think generally what you're saying is that you want to integrate these facets in their proper place. But you also made the comment that it's not just about winning, but how we win. What did you mean about that?
1: Well, you know, I mean, you can win in college by stacking up scholarships. Uh, Lots of schools cheat. We don't cheat. Uh, You can win by overbuilding facilities so that it wows people so much that they want to come play with you. The better players want to come play. You know, we have got quality facilities, but you got to keep it balanced. We also got to want to teach math and, and science and nursing and and uh, business and other kinds of things. Stewardship is a is a message that's part of this athletic program as well. And that's good stuff, you want stuff right, but you're not going to overbuild something. So it's not too hard in college sports to manipulate the outcome, if that's what you really want to do, if it's a win at all costs. But when you do, it gets out of balance. And and it's not teaching the right things. Uh, You know, I I want our student athletes to, to appreciate the gifts God's given us and appreciate their ability to get to play. I mean, the, the percentage of, co- of, of high school athletes who get to play in college is very, very small at any level. And yeah. so for them to get to play college football or, or softball or baseball, whatever it may
0: be, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. So I guess stepping back and t- looking at it at a more broad level, like when you think about mentorship, um, what do you, how do you sort of frame it? How do you think about it and, and why is it important? Well, you know, th- that's a great
1: thing about education. Education is mentorship. The mm-hmm. whole structure is yeah. about mentoring. And, um, you know, I always, I always tell pastors, um, you know, th- that, that uh, you know, we've got a lot of adult students as well. And they come in our graduate programs and other things as well, online programs. And I always tell pastors, I said, you know, if you want to help mentor your, your congregants, get them enrolled in our program. I said, you can have a mentoring class at your church and tell them to read this book and that book and come on Monday night and discuss it. But I said, we got them captive. They have to read the book. They've got to write the paper. They've got to be able to express themselves. And we got them for four years. So mentoring is built into what we are, but not all schools do that because you've got to have that as a core of your mission. Our mission is much more than simply education. Our mission is to create disciples. That's what God calls us to do. And so if we're gonna create disciples, then you gotta hire the right faculty, the right coaches, the right staff, people who are committed to that mission, so that everything is about mentoring, not just the structured things of education or sports Mm -hmm. or the arts or whatever it may be. I I had a great uh, 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 moment several years ago when I was coming across campus one day, and uh, two of our maintenance guys were were down in a deep hole. Obviously, they were fixing a water leak, and they were about waist high down in in the in, the, in a hole, in the mud, in the water, whatever, came up to the edge. I looked over the edge and I said, hey, guys, what are you doing? Of course, I know what they were doing, but I said, wait, hey, what are you doing? And they said, we're educating students for Christ. And I thought, yeah, that's it. And that's what they are doing. They are mentoring by how they respond to a water leak and how they do that in the middle of the campus with a thousand students watching them do this thing. Yeah. mentoring comes in a whole lot of different packages, but it's got to be baked into the DNA of a, a university in order to really make it come alive. And unfortunately, that's not where higher education is today for the most part.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's, uh, let's shift gears and talk about your book a little bit. Um, it's a very unconventional uh, premise, which is, uh, you know, the book's called Opportunity Leadership, Stop Planning, Start Getting Results. And the idea is to lead uh, that leading without the plan is the plan. What, what, what do you mean by that? What, yeah. what is this premise you speak of? And, and You know, uh, and,
1: and I really do mean it. Uh, when we first started this uh, 20 years ago, we got away from planning. I would tell the campus and the board and others, I'd say, you know, we believe God's sovereign in everything. We want God to lead. We want God to, to lead us to the destinations he wants us to. And so we're not going to have a long-range plan. And I will differentiate that between operational planning. We do do operational planning, but I'm talking about long-range planning, or what I call destination planning. We don't plan the destinations. And so how, I said, do, you, how gonna... do you
0: differentiate the two? Yeah, Is it the just destinations
1: of the future. The destinations are, you know, where we're going to go and what we're going to mm-hmm. be. And uh, of course, anybody who had a long-range plan three years ago doesn't have one now. Uh, yeah, because, the pandemic
0: threw it out the window. Yeah, <laughs> pandemic.
1: Nobody had it in their plan. So, and I don't think many people have this recession that's coming in their plan and all their plans for 2030 show these beautiful growth charts of this steady growth and how it's all going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work out that way, but we stay stuck on this system of planning. And in doing so, we miss up the opportunities that God has for us. So my premise is if we will let go of our planning and not let that block us and instead be sensitive to the opportunities, God will lead us into opportunities for the future. And often I get asked the question, well, you know, I might be a prospective faculty member or or even a television crew, I've, I've said this on TV. I'll say, well, what do you expect Belize University to be in 10 years from now? And my transparent answer is, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have less students or more students. I don't know if we're going to have different programs or the ones we have. I don't know. But what I do know is what God has for us is much greater than the best plans we could come up with sitting around conference tables, writing it out on whiteboards. And so we plan very carefully what God has given us. We know we're going to play football. We know we're going to teach English. We know we're going to stu- feed students of the dining commons. So we plan what God's given us very well to be the best stewards we can of that. We don't plan where God's going to take us. And so the image we use is that we want to be a sailboat prepared to catch the wind of God and go wherever God wins takes us rather than a powerboat that goes where we think God wants us to go and ignores the wind. And that's the big difference uh, in this. And so in that, back to your original question, (laughs) yeah, the plan is there is no plan. And people would say, well, that's really nice that God's in charge and we're going to trust him and all. But if that doesn't work, what's the plan? And my answer was, there is no plan. That is the plan. They have no plan. And it's amazing how if all of us will track back the significant things of our lives, the things that mattered most, the things that changed us the most, the things that impacted our direction, were not things we planned in almost all cases. Mm -hmm. They were opportunities God brought. And my contention is we're missing a lot of the opportunities because we're so focused on our plan, we don't even sense them when they come.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think part of what I'm hearing from you, and you clarify this, is you're saying, hey, Jason, it's about stewarding what's in front of us with excellence yep. and not getting ahead of ourselves and uh, becoming uh, fortune tellers, right?
1: Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Very much so. And if we'll use the gifts God has given us and, and and then be sensitive to those opportunities. I mean, the thing about a sailboat is you have to be very sensitive to the wind when you're in a sailboat, when you're in a powerboat, you can completely ignore the wind. So this image of the sailboat, in fact, there are five chapters in the book kind of. Yeah. Taking that into detail is, is the sensitivity to the wind and where God, win, wins winds wants to take us. And, and so you get a lot of things that come. Well, is that an opportunity or is that not? And to me, it comes down to three criteria, mission, gifting, and capacity. We've got to know our mission so well that we don't waver from our mission. We know what God's called us to, and we don't budge from that. Secondly, our 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 uh, gifting. What are we good at? What are we able to do? I mean, I, I've been offering um, uh, degree programs in China, in uh, in Mandarin, and we had an opportunity come along uh, last fall to open a doctorate in business in China with the number one rated school in China, the Harvard of China, they wanted to partner with us. And we were able to do that and make the decision within about a day and a half because we knew our gifting and then capacity. What do we have the capacity to do? When you understand your mission and gifting and capacity, and then you're sensitive to opportunities, it's amazing what God will open up that's far beyond the best we could imagine.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the other thing that comes to mind is, Like in terms of like the metaphor, the sailboat and the motorboat, the difference between artificial and and natural, I guess. Um, How would you uh, explore that idea in terms of? Well, yeah, I mean
1: the 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 sailboat. uh, I mean, you got to be looking up. You got to be looking out. You got to be focused on all aspects of everything going around you. You're sensitive to the wind, but you're also sensitive how that boat's interacting with the wind, and how the lines are tied too light or too loose, and all those kinds of things. How the sails are—all this stuff you're aware of when you're in opportunity, when you're in in long range planning, you set your mark of where you want to go and you just keep pushing to go to that mark no matter what, and you don't budge from it. And so I don't think we're really engaging the the needs and the culture around us when we're Focused on our plan, we're we're not responsive to those things. And if you look at the life of Christ, I mean, this is how his ministry operated. I mean, how many times do we read he was headed one place and somebody (laughs) came and asked him to go someplace else and and pulled him away? And what if he would have said, Well, no, I can't. My plan was to go there and I can't go there. And and if that's how we that, but that's how we operate. We say, Well, that's our plan. We can't do this because this is our plan to go here. We got to get rid of that stuff. And when we do, we do so much more. My problem is not just that planning doesn't work. And I can, you can prove that it doesn't work. Go back and look at your old plans. Any, any ministry or business out there, look at your plans. It didn't work. But the bigger concern is we're missing God's best. God yes. has so much more for us than what we could plan. And this works, whether it's a university or a church or a family or a business. I mean, um, you know, one of the uh, one of the endorsers of uh, of my book was Jim Morgan, who was president of Krispy Kreme and turned that company around. And Jim said, "This is how we did it. This is exactly what we did at Krispy Kreme. We captured the opportunities." And uh, so, you know, this this is a biblical model. It's not a new model of leadership. It's a biblical model that really is grounded
0: in how uh, Christ led. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing that um, comes to mind is. Uh, particularly again, using the metaphor, um, the motorboat and the sailboat is uh, the difference between our independence versus our dependence. So in the sailboat analogy, like you said, we're aware of the, the wind and the waves and the boat and the sail. And it, it, um, it makes it explicit how dependent we are on all of these different forces and factors. Yeah. But with a motorboat, Uh, You can almost even tune out just turn the motor on and head to your destination and and you don't even you almost feel like you're doing nothing. But all of those factors are essentially automated in a way that that make you make us uh, wreck or lose sight of how dependent we are. And then we become overly dependent on that artificial motor, right? Exactly. And
1: we we become, we lose sight of how dependent we are on God for all that's going on around us and responding to that culture and the needs of culture all around us, but also on the people we're traveling with. Because in a sailboat, I mean, you've seen these, these racing sailboats, those teams work with precision mm-hmm. and, and, and a, almost a, an elegance, elegance of a, of a a choreographed ballet, the way they operate together. And and in a powerboat, it's one person, whoever's at the wheel, everybody else is just getting pushed around and jerked around as the waves bounce. And we run organizations that way. We, we think one person is going to direct it and give it direction and everybody else has got to adjust to it instead of working together. So yeah, I love your, your expression there because it's it is a dependence on God. It's a responsive to the culture around us but then it's really a teamwork together with the people that we link with in whatever god's called us to do
0: yeah so let's kind of take that into the personal realm so when you think about the idea of like living better um like how does how do you how do you think of that how do how do the, any of these concepts apply when in terms of living our lives
1: well you know i'd say on a couple of levels first of all when it relates to the, what we've been talking about with the book. Um, it, it, it you, you, it creates such a awareness and dependency on God. Uh, I mean, if you want to get, if you want to help your prayer life, get rid of your long range plan. Uh, you know, you've <laughs> really got to be sensitive as a leader to your complete dependency on God. And yeah. here I am running a university and you know, I, uh, we've got a budget 40 plus million dollars and we're facing a recession. Oh, well, God's got the plan. I don't know what it is yet, but God's got the plan and it's going to work out in his way. You've got to have a, a personal depth of spiritual uh maturity that you wouldn't have if you're operating on your own. But as, when you talk about, you know, the the live better, I guess I would say it's it, that's living with integrity. What yeah. what, are, what are you doing that you know, if if it's all exposed you don't have to you don't have to blush over it. You don't yeah. have to worry about what people would think. I mean, you know, uh, and that's, and that's not, that's not, I'm not just talking about, you know, the, the, the sins listed in the Bible. I'm talking about how we interact with each other, how we yeah. treat people, how we, how we respect who they are, how we lift each other up, uh, all those kinds of things. I mean, do it with integrity. Um, I wrote another book called the Long View. Uh, lasting Strategies for Rising Leaders. And the concept of that is think in terms of long-term impact of everything that we do. So every relationship should be evaluated in terms of the long-term impact of that. That's living better. I think when you when you operate and you lead in that kind of a way and you live in that kind of a way where, where everything is about grounding for long-term, it's not about getting short-term results. We can shortcut off a lot of stuff in life and those shortcuts usually don't work out very well. And yeah. um, uh, a lot of regrets around shortcuts. Yeah. Like so, using a
0: credit card. We'll have to pay a high price for that. Pay that. It sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And pay more interest. For yeah, So,
1: you know, I, I just, I think living better is is not shortcutting. Yeah, you might not
0: get as much done. You might not be as flashy, but in the long run, God's going to honor it. Yeah. So on the, like, when you think about working smarter, working smarter what does that mean to you? And, and how do you uh, go about it? Working smarter
1: to me is, is doing what moves the dial. Mm-hmm. And so I will, every night of my life, sit in my chair before I go to bed at night and make a list, what will move the dial tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that go on the list. So I'm interested in what moves the dial. And then I'm interested in not doing what somebody else could do. So I'm interested in what, what, as a university president, what can I do that nobody else in this campus can do? And as a father at home, what can I do that my wife can't do that I can help to do? What can I do as a husband that would help her that, you know, uh, that's going to make a difference? So working smarter to me is not about. More activity. It's about doing the things that make the difference, and I think we spend an awful lot of our time going through the motions of things that don't really make a difference in life. And and so, yeah, there's probably a lot that sometimes I feel like is undone. But the things I think matter most are really where I want to put my energy and my priority.
0: Yeah. So, what would you say to someone who is super busy? They're doing a lot of things, but they're not moving the dial.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean. The first place I'd, I'd encourage him to go back and, and look at the last week and say what what if you didn't do it what difference would it have made and and you the only way to understand time and management of our time and our energy is to look backwards so you got to look backwards and really evaluate it and some people have tried. Hard time doing that, and so I'll encourage them keep a keep a track record going forward for a week. Just see where your energy goes, see where your time goes. I think people are shocked. It's kind of like budgeting. Uh, the people are shocked where they spend their money. We got to look at really what matters, and then you look at where what times do you work best. I am not a morning person. Do not ask me to do anything <laughs> in the morning, but you can call me at midnight, and I'll be happy to to yeah. do business at midnight. So you know. I know my best time to get stuff done. So I save the important things, the things that matter most for that time. I think the urgent tends to fill up our days rather than the important. Yeah. And so how do you let some of the urgent go? And uh, especially in a world where we're disconnected and there's so much stuff that comes, um, you know, you've got you've to know your focus and you've got to know your gifting uh, to really make make a difference in what, what's going to come out. Otherwise, you're just going to get sucked into just being pulled along. And yeah, you don't move the
0: dial. And yeah. it's really a shame because God yeah. didn't design us not to move the dial. Yeah. So let's talk about narratives, stories. Uh, what are some real or fictional stories or narratives that have shaped you as a person?
1: I love biographies. And I'm a, uh, if I wasn't a university president, I'd be a historian, although I think it'd be <laughs> too much work which
0: which um, which, which uh, part of history would you uh, focus on <laughs> i i uh, you know i jump around
1: right now i'm i'm and i do everything on audible so i when i say read i i by, by that
0: i mean listen <laughs> uh,
1: because i have to read too much higher education stuff so i don't want to use my eyes when i've got yeah. to do what i'm enjoying so i i use audible a lot and um, so right now i'm doing a biography of of uh, thomas jefferson and his Moral and faith life. And, um, uh, but I've probably done several biographies on all the U.S. presidents, major figures around the world, different ages, different categories from ancient to, to fairly current. I don't do anybody, probably real current. But here's the reason I do that. First of all, I'm fascinated by the stories of their life. I don't, I don't study their history for the things we all know them for. Uh, I don't study, uh, you know, um, uh, FDR for leading us through world war II. I know he did that or, or maybe a, a great example is, uh, you know, uh, president Johnson and, and what he did for, uh, um, um, uh, racial, uh, um, uh, legislation. Yeah what I study him for is not the part that they know. I study him for the part where they had to face the difficult problems, the difficult times when it was overwhelming. And how did they get through that? I mean, yeah. there's a great story about how Johnson was at the edge of trying to get this legislation through. And he was so overwhelmed by it. He was in bed with the covers over his head and his wife was saying, you got to get up and you got to go up to Congress. And he didn't want to go. And, yeah. you know, that's real stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's you we tend to idealize these people as if as if they accomplished this stuff and it was all handed to them on a platter. It wasn't, it was hard, real work by real people with real emotions, with real family challenges and all the kinds of stuff that we face. I want to understand those stories. And so, you know, I, I get inspired by seeing what they did and seeing how they persevered to make some of those things happen. So, you know, their track record is one thing and it's wonderful to see, you know, what a Thomas Jefferson did or, a, or a, 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 a John Adams, one of my heroes is John Adams. I think we wouldn't have had this country uh, today without John Adams uh, <clears throat> um, to see what they did. But I wanna see what they got through in order to do what they did. And those things inspire me because nobody got an easy pass, nobody nobody gets an easy pass. Everybody's got it hard and I want to see how they made it through because hopefully that'll help me.
0: Yeah. I guess the thing that comes to my mind is um, why, why do you care about that particular thing that you're looking to learn about? Because it does seem um, unique in the sense of most people are not interested in that topic or that angle that you're going after
1: well again i'm looking at leaders and the the fullness of who they were and in a public leadership role people know who i am as a public leader but they don't know life at home they don't know i gotta take out the trash i gotta deal with the kids i gotta (laughs) deal with all the kinds of stuff everybody else has got to deal with and i want to see how other leaders have done that through the through the ages and i i I study public figures because their stories now are so transparent. There's been so much research on them. If you study somebody fairly current, their life's still pretty hidden and you really can't see what happened and how they coped with it. But you go back and and you pick up a Harry Truman and see how unqualified he was for that job, but how he rose to the occasion and how he did that and how he he made that through it's been studied enough that every aspect of his life has been uncovered so you can see this stuff you can't see that in current people so that's probably why okay why
0: i default to it so i guess on that as a little bit of a sidebar but related would be um thinking about just the last two years um two and a half years particularly um with the pandemic hitting and all the craziness of 2020 and and that followed In many ways, when I look at the the American um, as a country, when I look at ourselves, uh, it seems quite apparent that we have a giant leadership gap across all tiers of of our society um, and a lot of abdication of responsibility. Uh, Would you agree with that assessment? And uh, what do you think is going on there?
1: Yeah, very much so. And part of the challenge is we don't have a structure for leadership like we had in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, the Because of the interconnectedness with people and because of the way that that interconnectedness drives us into tribes so that we only hear people who agree with what we advocate uh, is, uh, I think, really diminishes the ability of leaders to penetrate the society in order to bring about positive good. And so I, it's, I, I, I don't know the solution to that. I, I think it's really troubling. But, you know, uh, I have uh, uh, both CNN and Fox News on my, on my uh, uh, car serious on purpose because I listen to both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, most people in the country have picked a side. And we're mm-hmm. not hearing each other. We're not understanding each other. We're not appreciating each other. We're seeing each other as issues or as targets or as threats, not as people. And um, and um, whether those, whether whatever those issues are, not just mm-hmm. political, but but some of the the racial tensions, the the social justice issues, those kinds of things. We're not hearing each other. And and I don't know how with the structure of, of where society has gone leaders can break through to change some of that i I think it's really troubling um, because it does just drive us into smaller and smaller tribes and then those tribes divide because then they get divided over this and that and then we become smaller and smaller units and and that is a is not a healthy society and it's unlike anything we've ever seen in the history of the
0: world Uh, it's a it's a it's a fragmentation fracturing and, yeah. and it's
1: really going to get worse it's not going to get better unless something different happens and yeah. uh, and now even the mechanisms for how the tribes were created through social media are now being questions and so then you get new social media <laughs> that further creates additional tribes and and division and it, it's it's heartbreaking in many ways and um you know uh of course, as an educator, I believe that education can make uh, a world of difference in helping us to get past some of that. But the but the masses, it's so complex; that it's really hard to reach. The 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 millions of audience that a that a political leader or a church leader or somebody else needs yeah. uh, in order to do that.
0: Now, how would you? So here's a. I guess since you're so uh, familiar with the uh, the history of our of Our country and our our presidents and founders, you know, the, I think it's Federalist Ten by James Madison, where he talks about the factionalism, the tri- yeah. the tribes that you're describing, and actually designing the American system around that uh, that dynamic. So mm-hmm. perhaps what we're seeing is actually a fruition of that design. Would what would you say? To I that? think
1: I think in some ways we are. I mean, America's always been that way. There's a, there's a wonderful book on, on how kind of America expanded with the different perspectives from New England and from uh from the New York influence, the Virginia influence, uh, the Florida influence, the New Orleans influence, how that all happened and how that came about. And and so you do, I mean, if we were uh, we should be Europe in many ways. Those should have been separate countries. The challenge now is that they all gotten commingled. And so you can't geographically separate it out like you, like you might have, uh, you know, 100 years ago. And so I, I don't know, it's, it. I think it's a perplexing question, because, um, because yeah, it has been I mean, the, the culture of the South where you and I live, you're in Atlanta, I'm in Jackson, Mississippi, it's a very different culture than the Pacific Northwest or California or or the Midwest or Texas. Texas, is, yeah. they say a whole other country. It really is. It's a whole other country, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. you know, and I got a lot of friends in Texas and we play sports in Texas, but <laughs> but they just look at life differently. And so you've got all these kind of different slants on a worldview of how things should be. And they. They do become regionalized, but then within regions you have you have a whole mix of people. So you can't really divide it out and say, you know, like in, in colonial days, um, you know, a Virginian was a Virginian. They had that worldview no matter where Virginians went. It, mm-hmm. it, they didn't they didn't mix it up in those days. So that I think that's part of the challenge. It's all it's all jumbled up
0: now, and then how we get there, it's going to be real interesting to see. Yeah. So what what would you say to someone who is in a, in a particular bubble? Um, And how would you encourage them to consider going outside their bubble to explore a diversity of ideas and ideologies and not be um, isolated in that type of way? You got to do it on purpose. If you don't do it on purpose, you're never going to get
1: out because, because the way things are programmed, whether it's what Netflix recommends to you or or social media comes to you or whatever, you're gonna get reinforcements. So you gotta purposely get outside of that, but more importantly, you gotta purposely get the people, the real live people behind these things you're for or against and get to know the people and get to know their heart and their spirit. And yeah. unfortunately we've gotten to the point, people can't even have the conversation yeah. and uh, you know, they get all tense without even the conversation. I'd love to understand better why some people think differently about this and that than I do yeah. and, and have that dialogue, but it's really
0: complex to do. Yeah. Although it does seem like in our society, at least in the, in the extremes. And people that do want to do what you're describing um are now becoming villainized right How they are you, yeah. yeah and then
1: yeah. and, and that's a challenge i mean it was in some arenas you can't even have a discussion of a topic um without you know everybody picking a, a corner and it's, yeah. it's crazy it's yeah. crazy. I mean, why are we so afraid of ideas? You know, I've always believed that that uh, you know Christian ideas, God's God's truth will stand up. So bring it out in the marketplace and let's have a talk about it. That's I'm yeah. not threatened by that, but we've gotten so threatened by all our ideas, and I think part of it is we're not so convinced that they're for real that we don't want to even have anybody question them.
0: Yeah. So that kind of dives into this the next question here, which is about systems. You know, when you think about systems. Um, you know, how do you define them? How do you use them? How do you uh, operate in them? Systems in what way? Just in a general sense, it could be a, syst- a business system, it could be a technological mm. system, it could be a relational system. And, you yeah. know, think about like an ecosystem um, with a particular, uh, you know, an ocean ecosystem, but how does that play out in like a societal system or, or a sure. community system?
1: Yeah, I'm probably not a not a good source on that. Uh, you're you're asking a more probably a, a better question than I've got to answer. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, to to me, I'm I'm just so mission driven. I, I, to me, it's all about mission. What has God called me to do? The people I work with, what are we called to do? And so, you know, we're going we're gonna to build a, uh, I guess if you, if you put it that way, I, can, I could ex- maybe explain my approach this way. We're going to build a system of grace. That's what mm-hmm. we're going to do. And, um, you know, when, when J- John, who was closest to Jesus, was asked to describe him, uh, he said he came full of grace and truth. And uh, people expected him to say truth, but they didn't expect grace. But mm-hmm. Jesus was 100% grace and 100% truth. He wasn't 50-50. And so we, we want to be a system of grace. How do we be Christ-centered and be a system of grace, which is getting harder to do in, in kind of the culture we're in right now because everybody's picking corners so much. Um, and, and how do you have that kind, transparent, open, accepting loving spirit and still hold to the truth that you believe in and that you know is 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 given to us by god that's what we're we work toward and um you know i i, I don't know how the system works that's a good question i, I really i gotta think on that one We'll yeah. have to talk again sometime <laughs> I've, I've never thought, thought about it in terms of system but i do think about it in terms of mission
0: yeah yeah, I mean I would I would think like, okay, what is, what are some examples of a system of grace when it's operating well and what are some examples of when it's failing, right? Yeah. So I, I
1: think that. it I think it's, you know, I I, I kind of we we got a, a fountain at our university. Um uh that's that's got a fountain and it's just nice beautiful thing of water around it. It's got boundaries on it. It's got barriers to it. The water can't just go down the hill. It's got to stay within that boundary. So I I consider that boundary as kind of the truth. And within that is the grace. The water mixes up in a lot of ways and a lot of water can get in there uh, that feels differently and moves around. But so we kind of know where our boundaries of truth are. And then within those boundaries of truth, we're going to be as graceful as we possibly Mm -hmm. can, because grace is as important as truth. And as Christians, if we would be as serious about grace as we are
0: about truth, maybe people would actually hear our truth. Yeah. So. I guess an, another system that you might be able to speak into more specifically would be the whole system of student borrowing in order to go to college and the college debt um, yeah. uh, system that, that follows. So what, what would you speak into about that and, and uh, the mess that we are all in? Um, me, just a little backstory. Me and my wife ended up borrowing um, about $100,000 for our college, which ended up uh, we ended up paying it back With interest, it ended up being one hundred and fifty-five thousand dollars that we paid back over ten years, and uh, it was that was a painful journey. It was certainly, uh, to your point earlier, it was a process that developed our character Mm -hmm. and changed us into better people. Uh, But it certainly was a lesson I wish I didn't learn the hard way. (laughs) Right, right, right.
1: Yeah, very much so. Uh, And I'm sorry you've been through that. I, I think higher education, hopefully. Has gotten smarter about how to guide students on borrowing, and um, um, this is such an important topic. I just produced a five uh, 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 five segment uh, video series on the real cost of higher of college. Mm-hmm. People don't understand the real cost, how scholarships works, how borrowing works, what value is, how you graduate on time. All those kinds of things, um, and and some of the unique things. I mean, Bellhaven we're giving all of our traditional students a free master's degree right now. Uh, there are unique things available. So, but when it comes strictly to the borrowing, first of all, you would be the probably a little bit of the aberration on a lot of undergraduate borrowing. Again, I don't know what you borrowed for, but uh, most of the grad borrowing is in the graduate arena, not in the undergraduate arena. Uh, so, undergraduate usually can graduate with a fairly reasonable uh borrowing limit now again you marry somebody else who who um um you know borrow a lot and um, and then you you got a double so that does yeah, yeah. get complex in a hurry uh so it's not an individual thing but you know i encourage students borrow for what appreciates in value so your mind investment in your mind. We know if you go to college, you're going to earn a million and a half dollars more a year than if you don't go to college. So that's a good investment don't borrow for cars, borrow for furniture, et cetera, et cetera. You borrow for things that appreciate. So that's a, a beginning point. And then how do you do that? There are a lot of comp- good ways in which a great financial office can help you do that and, and con- control that borrowing. A lot of the borrowing, which is in the category you're talking about $100,000 plus, is often those professional degrees of law school, medical school, and that kind of thing. Um, and, and then the other real big issue is that the their for-profit uh, proprietary schools push a lot of students into borrowing. And they never, a lot of them aren't even going to graduate. I mean, some of the graduation rates from these schools are less than 10%. And those people have borrowed enormous amounts of money with the promise and, and no help and structure to finish the degree. And that's part of where the borrowing problem comes from. So, it, but it's a complex issue. Um, you know, uh, I think there was movement a while ago for free college. I think that's kind of passing. I don't think that's gonna happen. There's been some movement for debt forgiveness there might be a little happen on that. I don't think it's going to be anything overly dramatic. Uh, they might do 10,000, but I think there's going to be a lot of kickback on that as well. But for people going into education right now, first of all, I'll give you the link. Maybe you can put it with this on that video series. They can look at that, but then talk to a financial aid professional about all the options and really plan. Well, what you're going to do. Um, and uh, you know, I, 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 in that video series, I show students how if they come to Bellhaven instead of go to a flagship university like the old mess of the University of Georgia, where they will save sixty thousand dollars, six zero thousand dollars over their education. You, it takes a long time to explain it, and so you got to look at the video series. But it yeah, really yeah. is true, and I show the numbers of how you can do that mm-hmm. by uh coming here instead of that instead of these flagship universities it's pretty remarkable what can be done but it's a tough issue and um we need more education but we can't be bankrupting people in the process of giving it to them
0: yeah yeah i understand um what else would you like to share about any parting words of wisdom or things you wanted to share that you didn't get a chance to yet
1: oh you you know you've been great to um to uh, uh, ask such good questions. I I guess maybe the last thing I might say is, is if you're going to follow opportunities, just never be surprised where they might come from. So every relationship matters. Every connection matters. you never know what God's going to use to trigger something either in your life or for you to help somebody else. This is not just about taking, it's also about giving and um, those connections matter and value them don't burn any bridges, take advantage of every opportunity God brings into your life for a new connection. It may not materialize into something today, but it might down the road, you never know. But, uh, you know, I I think I've been able to be rich in friends. And by having a lot of friends, God's brought a lot of opportunities. Yeah.
0: So if if another uh, university president was watching this, what advice would you give that person?
1: Uh, you know, it depends on the school. It really does. They're so different. And these schools are complex and difficult to run. You know, a lot of people want to be a college president. And when they talk to me about it, I always say, do you want to do you want to get the job or do you want to do the job? And a lot of people want to get it because they think it's a prestigious job. I love doing it. I love being on the campus. I love being in the dining commons. I love being with students, solving the problems, but it's a very technical job as well. And uh, it's, it's not uh, a path for uh, people who really are not called to that profession. So, you know, for college presidents, every unique Situation is different. They've got to understand their culture, their mission. You know, I I met with a brand new college president the other day for lunch, and I he said, "What should I find out?" And I said, "Number one thing is who loves the place, who loves it. Find out why they love it, and understand that, build on that, those kinds of things." So, um, you know, I've been college university president for thirty three years, and got a lot more to go, and and it it again is a wonderful way to serve, and I feel very honored.
0: Yeah. What would you say to the person that is like they're about to finish high school or they have graduated and they're considering college? What are some helpful questions for them to figure out whether college is the right path for them versus alternatives
1: well, I think you, yeah, I do want to question if it's the right path. And uh, and that would depend on where you feel your career calling is. There's a lot of great careers that don't need college and don't go to college if you don't need that career. And, um, you know, I always remind uh, my campus that the most important person on the campus is not me. As a president, the most important person is the plumber because if the <laughs> plumber doesn't do their job, we're all shut down, we're all out of business. So that's a very valuable person to us. Um, so there are lots of different ways, but if they're going to go to college, I encourage them to ask two questions. First question is, when they visit a campus, are these people I would like to be like? Because the nature of education is you'll start to take on their characteristics. So be asking that, be Mm -hmm. asking yourself that question as you interact with the faculty, the students, the staff, are these the kind of people I'd like to be like? And the second question is, what does the school require of all students? That tells you what their mission is. That tells you what their core is. Everybody looks good in the view books and the publicity we send out. Everybody says the same thing you're really important. You're not a number, da, da, da. You can interchange the names. But by what they require of everybody, tells you what they value. And just real quickly, I'll tell you at the end here, Bellhaven requires four things. We require a freshman course called BU 101, which is designed to identify a student's gifts and their motivation Mm -hmm. so we understand how God made them and let's build on how God made you, not make you fit into some cookie cutter that we've got. second thing we require is our worldview curriculum in their sophomore year where they're understanding how a Christian worldview stands up to the tests of the centuries. Mm -hmm. Third thing we require is chapel because we think it's important once a week for us to come together and worship. And the fourth thing we require is a course in marriage and family. Family for every senior, because we believe if you can't be happy at home, you're not going to be happy. And you got to understand God's desire Mm -hmm. for our relationships. And so, by that, you can tell what we value. We value your gifts, we value your worldview, we value worship, and we value the family. You take Mm -hmm. that same criteria to any school, ask them what they require. And if they don't require anything, I'd be especially careful to go to that school. You want to go to a school that's going to build up what you're about if you're a freshman out there, not tear you down and uh, find the school that matches what you want to become.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. So then the last question I would ask is someone that is in college or going to college, how do they make it the best um, possible? Uh, how can they get the most value out of that experience as possible?
1: That That's a long answer, but I'll give you the short version. The short yeah. version is get your money's worth. Yeah. And education is the only uh, thing we pay for that people aren't willing to get their money's worth for. If uh, you know, if I buy this iPhone and it, a lot of it doesn't work and a lot of the features don't work at various times, I'd be back at the Apple store screaming, complaining, saying <laughs> I want my money back or fix this thing. But, you know, if we are in school and class is canceled, everybody cheers. If the the (laughs) professor is easy, they're thankful for it. If they can take a shortcut to write the paper, they take the shortcut. Get your money's worth. You're paying for this. Get your money's worth. Demand that you get the best out of it. And if you do that, that's how you get a great experience in college.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, how can people connect with you or... Yeah, Um, it's uh, pretty simple,
1: Um, bellhaven.edu, and with one L, so B-E-L-H-A-V-E-N.edu, and of course, everything about the university is there for our traditional program, our our online programs, got about 20 masters, 25 masters degrees, two doctorates, do them all online, so those are options. Um, or my email is real simple it's the word president at bellhaven.edu, and that's my personal email it comes directly to me and be happy to connect to them there's also a website opportunityleadership.com that's about the book
0: okay great I'll, I'll put those links in there and uh what about are you on social media at all linkedin or Twitter i, I or am Facebook? i'm not i'm not very good at it but i'm on <laughs> <all those. laughs> okay yeah yeah cool Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your life today. Really a
1: treat to be with you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it so much.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.